Right. Well, if you would, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. When you get there, find verse 18. And I want to talk to you today about the importance of the Bible. Um, I know many of you have been Christians for a very long time, so you think, well, why do I need to hear a message on the importance of the Bible? I think today we all need to be reminded of just exactly how important the Bible is and why it's important for not only us, but for the world around us. The world that we live in today is spiritually starving to death, I believe. And uh, we're seeing the fruits of that, and I'm going to mention a few things about that as well. You know, I've talked a lot about culture over the last couple of months and how our culture has kind of fallen apart, isn't it? Our culture's just either falling apart or turning a different direction or going off the cliff or however you want to describe it. Our culture is not where God wants it to be, and we can see evidence of it everywhere, every day. So let's look at uh, the Scripture this morning. Let's, let's talk about the importance of the Bible. Verse 18, Peter writes, he says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen for the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you, are purified, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field, and the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord stands forever. Can I get an amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us today from your word, that your spirit moves us in the direction of where you would have us go to read what you'd have us read, to hear from you directly, Lord, about our own lives, about the situations that we're facing, about our culture, about our world, and what's going on. We know, Father, that the Bible has the answers that we need because you speak through your word. And we thank you, God, that it is enduring, that nothing can take it away, that nothing can destroy it, that nothing can diminish its power, that you speak through it and you are the power of your own word. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we need your word in our life each and every day. We need to soak it in. We need to consume it. We need to live by it and be led by your spirit. So we pray for that, Lord, today. And I pray, Father, today that as we look at your word and talk about this message, that you will speak through me and your word and that your spirit will take what I have to say and use it for your glory and the good of all your people. And Father, I pray today maybe someone is here, doesn't know you, but have been longing for you, and that you will speak to them about their walk and their relationship with you through Jesus Christ. We would love to see that, God. We would give you the glory and praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thousands of books have profoundly affected the world around us. Now, it's interesting that uh, man for thousands of years has wanted to write things down. Isn't that crazy how people have done that? I often wonder, do we need more books, you know? I mean, there's books coming out every day. Thousands of books are being published every day. There are many books, thousands and millions of books that have profoundly affected our world, some for the good and some for the terrible. If you go online, like I do a lot sometimes, just to look for things, if you go online, you ask the question, what are the top 10 or top 20 or top 50 most influential books? You'll get all kinds of lists. 
It seems like everybody has a list about what books affected them the most throughout their life. On these lists, you're going to find books like Mark Twain, Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer. Anybody read those books? Read those back when I was in grade school. Those are good books. Charles Dickens, The Tale of Two Cities. J.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings. How about this one, Dr. Benjamin Spock's Child Care and Baby Care? Anybody read those? Not for a while, I bet, huh? Yeah. E.B. White, Charlotte's Web. Remember Charlotte's Web? I read that when I was, I think, fourth grade. It's a good book. It's a good story. Most of those lists, though, don't have the Bible on them. If you look at those lists, they won't have the Bible, but according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the Bible is the best-selling book year after year after year. Almost every year, the Bible is in the top number one slot of best-selling book. Millions of books, of Bibles are bought and given away uh, for Christmas gifts, for holidays, for birthdays, wedding presents. Millions upon millions are are given away on street corners or handed out in or left behind in motel rooms and hotel rooms or hospitals by the Gideons. Millions of books or Bibles are given away by just by the Gideons. Churches buy Bibles and leave them in their sanctuaries, don't they? If you look in our pews right in front of you, there's Bibles all over. And if one goes missing, the church doesn't feel like we got robbed, right? No, we don't. We want somebody to steal those books. Those are the books we want them to steal. They can change their life. God will use that book. Christians in America tend to have several personal Bibles. Is that true for you? Do you have a couple of really favorite Bibles that you've had? Maybe you got one from a grandfather or grandmother or your mother or, or whoever. Family Bible. Maybe you have the personal family Bible that goes back to generations. I have three that I study personally myself that I use for my own study. One for preaching, one for studying, one just for reading. I also have 10 or 12 others on my bookshelf that I use just because they are different translations of what I normally use. and I want to see how this person would have said it, just to kind of get a different view of the words. And words have meanings, and so I like to see what others have, other translations say. Why, I even have a Reader's Digest Bible. Can you believe that? A Reader's Digest, I have one in my, in my library. I love to read. I love to read. I've, lo- I've loved to read for a long time. The, the, the nuns in parochial school literally beat the love of reading into me as a kid. I went through first grade twice because I couldn't read. But I got out there that second time, I could read. And I've read ever since. I read biographies. I read histories. I read military books. I read joke books, although they don't really seem to help me very much. Yeah. I read about other religions. I even have other religions books in my library. I have several copies of the Book of Mormon. I have um, a Jehovah Witnesses Bible. Um, I read those a little bit, not much just to kind of know a little something so I can surprise them every now and then when they knock on my door. I love to read travel books because I like the idea of going somewhere into a whole different culture and a whole different people group and seeing how they live. I read about personal finance. I don't have any, but I read about personal finance. I enjoy reading about philosophy and even some forms of fiction, though I tend to find most forms of fiction boring. I like to read about facts and people and things like that. I don't know how many books I've read. I've read hundreds, maybe thousands of books in my lifetime. They don't seem to have made much of an impression on me because I keep reading more books. So, uh, but books, are, books have been very influential in my life, but the most influential book in my life, I have to say, is the Bible. 
try to read some of it at least every day, once a day. I try to. don't always get there, but I try to read some of it every day. Uh, it it um, has hundreds of sub-themes, all kinds of ideas. It addresses all kinds of issues and, and problems and life in general. But the Bible's primary purpose, its primary theme, is to reveal God. That's what the Bible does. It reveals God. It points people to God. It pointed me to God. And then it points God's people back to Him again and again and again, doesn't it? We go there and we hear His voice when we're troubled or when we are struggling or when we're joyful and things are great. We hear His voice and we praise and thank Him for that. It handles our biggest problems in life. The answers to our biggest problem in life is right here in the Bible. Man's biggest problem, his biggest problem, is the reason why bad things happen in life. We can't blame the problems of this world on God. There are problems. They're created by mankind. So it's the reason why bad things happen. Mankind's biggest problem is our need to be something other than what we are. We've got to be something other than what we are born into. And for this to happen, we need God. Self-help books will not help with this problem that we have. That we're missing something, that there's something wrong with us without God. The apostles understood that. They followed Jesus and their lives were changed. And then they began to share the message of the Bible. Acts 5 verse 18 says they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. You know, one of the problems in America today is Preachers are not telling the full message of the new life in Christ. They're telling a third or a quarter or a tenth or 90%, but they aren't getting it all in there. And that's a detriment to the spiritual growth and new birth people need today. Looking at your outline this morning, point number one, the Bible's message is really simple. We tend to make it hard because we want to overthink things and we read things that aren't there but if we'll just simply let the Bible speak as it reads, the Bible's message is simple. You need a Savior. All the way through, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible says it over and over and over thousands of times. You need a Savior. Look at verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen for the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, and so your faith and hope are in God. You need a Savior, amen? Right. Verse 18, He talks about being redeemed or saved from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. You know, don't blame your grandparents or your dad and mom. Don't do that. They, they were simply as fallen as you and I are. Right? My father was just as fallen as I was. And I was just as fallen as he was. So I can't blame him for the way life turned out for me. As much as I might want to, I can't blame him because he was a fallen man and he didn't know Jesus. He needed a Savior. And he didn't have him. That's sad. Now, for some people, life doesn't seem to be very empty. They might not have grown up rich, but they always seem to have enough. Maybe some of you are that way. You've always had 
enough and you've been happy with that and that's great. You've never really been in need. So it didn't seem to be an empty way of life. That's not true for all of us though in the sense that, that uh, many of us have, were having very empty lives before we met Christ. Maybe your life was pretty stable and pretty good. Maybe your family didn't live on the wrong side of the tracks. You go to Abilene, Kansas, my family lived on the wrong side of the tracks. Literally on the wrong side of the tracks. Maybe they were even church folks that raised you, your family. Mine were not. But even those of you who had it pretty fair, pretty good, decent, realize something's not quite right. Isn't that true? Don't we all come to some point, no matter our situation in life, where we realize something is not quite right? There is something missing. And I need to start looking for that. And Peter tells us what's missing. It's right there in verse 19. He says in verse 19, he says, but with precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen for the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Individually, your sake. He's reminds here there's something in life money can't buy. There's just some things money can't buy. Money can't buy you peace of mind. Money can't buy you a place in heaven. Some people might think so, but it won't. Money can't buy you a relationship with God. God doesn't need your money. He wants your sacrifice, but He doesn't need your money. You don't need money either. Money is not the answer to our problems. There's lots of money in the world. You need a Savior. The world needs a Savior. It's Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ can give us peace of mind. Only Jesus can give us a place in heaven. And only Jesus can give you a relationship with God. Isn't that true? Yeah. So he's the answer. Look with verse 21. Through him, meaning Jesus, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. God did all this work through Christ so that we would put our hope in him and our hope and faith in God. So that we could know the Creator. So that we could know the One who put this world together, but who didn't mess it up. Who's going to put it all back together. A lot of people believe God exists. A lot of people believe in a personal being, a God who's out there, a divine being. They might call God all kinds of different names. They might even believe God is good, but they don't have a personal relationship with Him. That's the way it's been through all of history. Man kind of sought to worship something from the very beginning of time. Why did, why did Cain kill Abel? Because he was jealous and mad because God liked his sacrifice more. They went to worship, and Cain didn't really worship. So he kills his own brother. And then he responds to God. He speaks to God about, I'm not my brother's keeper. And God says, oh yeah, you are. And ever since then, man has sought to worship God. Worship something. A lot of people believe in God, some benign God, some unknown God, uh, but they don't know if he's, they don't know him. They don't have that personal relationship with him. So God sent Jesus to make that possible for us, to make it a reality that we can have a relationship with God, the creator of the world who put every star in place, who hung the moon and the sun. The being who hung the moon and the sun. Amazing that we can know Him. In John chapter 1, verse 18, No one has seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made Him known. That's an amazing verse right there. John 1, 18. 
No one has seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. And there in John chapter 1, verse 18 says that God is God, and that Jesus is also God, and that Jesus has made the Father known. Jesus Christ is God. He is the one and only. He is at, he is at the Father's side, and He can do something you and I can't do. Look at verse or point number two in your outline. The Bible's message is simple. You need a new you. You need a new you. I need a new me. That, this is one of the things that really attracted me to Christianity, biblical Christianity, evangelical Christianity, is the fact that I could become something new, someone new. I didn't have to be the old me. I didn't like the old me. If you'd have known the old me, you wouldn't have liked the old me. Some of you might not like the new me. Look at verse 22. Peter says, Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. The only way that you can truly love anyone else the way God intended you to, to love them is by becoming a new person, a new you. It's the only way. Think about our own culture. Why do people go, become, go out to Hollywood and become actors? Why do they do that? Because they're not happy with themselves. There's something missing in their lives. So they think fame and celebrity and money is going to make them really happy. And they're some of the most miserable people in the world. So they become somebody else. And they don't like them either. Then they become somebody else. Why do people admire the rich and famous? Or the great singer? Or the band? Or the actor? Or the athlete? Or the great writer? Why do we admire these people? I was going to say politicians, but nobody likes politicians anymore. We used to have some admirable politicians. Did you know that? It's been a while, but we used to have some, some men and women we could really admire. If you pay attention to what's happening in our culture today, you'll see a lot of people are very unhappy with themselves. Now, they manifest it by being angry at everybody else, but they're really unhappy with themselves. People are getting radical makeovers all the time, aren't they? People are even changing themselves from male to female and female to male as if they really can. Isn't that sad? That is so sad that you are so, so lost that you can't stand to look at yourself in the mirror and you, you've got to change your, your entire appearance because you can't stand to be who you are. And I, I don't want to be crude, but cutting something off or adding something on is not going to make you into a male or a female. God's already done that. God's already done that. And, and what you are is what you are. And so if you're not happy with who you are and what you are, you need to get with God because He created you and He wants to make you into something much better than you are right now. And, he, and it's possible. I'm living proof of that. Why are people in so much turmoil today? Why is there so much turmoil in people's lives today? I think it's because they don't know who God made them to be. I think that's really what it all boils down to. They aren't who God made them to be. I think some people are so far from God and are so unhappy with themselves, they're willing to do those radical things to change themselves. Thinking they'll find themselves in becoming someone new. 
through the hands of a surgeon or a chemical or whatever. Peter says there's a better way to be a new you. Look at verse 23. He says, For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. You don't need to go to a doctor or a clinic. You don't need to, to uh, put something on or take something off. You, you don't need to do those things. You need to go to God. What you're missing is Jesus Christ. You need a new you. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24. He said, you were taught, speaking to the church, but giving hope to unbelievers, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. World, you have deceitful desires. So did I. Still I still deal with them. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's not our physical appearance that's the problem. It's our inner self. Our fallen nature. Our deceitful desires that plague us. What pe most people don't know is the only way to become someone new is to really is to know God. Is to know God by knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord and by following Jesus. That's the only way. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one of my favorite verses from the Bible. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I love that verse. I love that verse because it, it's hopeful, isn't it? That in Christ we can really be new, that we don't have to settle for the old self that's fallen and corrupted and deceitful, that's full of turmoil and struggles. Instead, we can go to Christ, and over time He will make us into a new creation. I'm not talking about a magic wand or, or fairy gold dust or anything like that. I'm talking about a journey where God changes us slowly, bit by bit. It's where he chips off the rough spots with the hammer and chisel and begins to smooth this out. And, we, and out of that rough stone emerges what? That new person. That beautiful piece of art that we're supposed to be in God's eyes. Do you see why the Bible is so important? It's incredibly important. What the Bible says about God, what the Bible says about us, about our need to be made new again by God, it's really simple. We just make it hard and complicated. And it's simply the truth because it comes from His Word. Number three on your outline this morning, the Bible's message is simple. This life will end for all of us. Why do we worry about these things? Why do we need a new you? Because this life is going to come to an end someday. We need to be ready for that. Verse 24 in your Bibles, Peter says, For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Peter did something that we might miss if we're not careful as we read. He used a statement from the Old Testament from Isaiah to compare the enduring Word of God from verse 23 to our limited earthly lives in verse 24. For all men are like grass. All their glories like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. Anybody like to grow plants? Anybody like to grow flowers or bushes or or Gardens, yeah. Bill and Joe gave me a bunch of Rose of Sharon seedlings. And um, if you don't know what a Rose of Sharon bush is, it's a shrub. It's real big and tall and really fleshes out. 
They are one of the hardiest bushes I've ever seen. They are also some of the most beautiful with their blooms, uh, pink and purple and and white. And um, we've got them in our backyard along our fence. And then when they bloom out, they have lots of pods. There's tons of blooms on them. And, and they're just beautiful. They're, but they don't endure in the sense of they're all going to dormant right now. So they're all producing seeds for next spring, but there's no more blooms. The bloom is gone. Now the plant is not dying. It's simply going to go into dormancy. It's going to, it's going to die in a sense, but it will come back in the spring. Our lives are a little bit like that, except we aren't coming back. Now, the world wants to say in some world religions that, hey, you know, you get to come back and do it all over again. If you mess up in this life this time, you get a second chance, a third chance, a million times. Frankly, folks, I don't want a million lives. Do you? I pretty much messed this one up enough. I don't want to keep doing it over and over again, you know. So that means our life in this, in this world is going to come to an end. Verse 23 says, the living, enduring Word of God. I love that, don't you? There is something that, that is alive, that is, that is enduring. It's God's Word. That God speaks is a concept that is seen throughout the Bible. In Genesis 1, we're told that God created through what? His Word, the spoken Word. Uh, Let there be light, and there was light. Let there be the sun and the moon and the sky, and there was. Let us make Man in our image, he says. And it all happens. Yeah, by his spoken word. From Mount Horeb, God spoke to Moses and the Hebrew people, and the mountain shook. And the people were terrified, all except for Moses. Moses wasn't terrified because Moses had a personal relationship with God. He wasn't afraid of God anymore. Not like they were, anyway. Later, God spoke to Joshua, gave him comfort and encouragement. And he spoke to Gideon, gave him courage. He spoke to Saul and David, made them kings. He spoke to Solomon, Elijah, to Isaiah and Malachi. And today, we have God's Word in written form. A record, not that God needs to preserve His Word in some tangible form, but as a way to speak to us, to draw us to certain passages at certain times and in certain circumstances. See, here's the thing about why you need to read your Bible on a regular basis is God has something to say to you from there. He'll pull you into a certain section when He wants you to read that. Because He'll have something to say to you from that section. And He'll speak to you as you're reading your Bible. He'll speak to you. Something will jump off the page, and you know it's God's Spirit pointing that out. Certain passages at certain times for certain circumstances. God's Word endures and will always endure. That is not mere human speculation. That's not my opinion or wishful thinking. That's the promise of Almighty God and Jesus Himself. Peter reminds us that we're like the flowers, the grass of the field. We're going to wither. We're going to fall. And it's true. Our lives in this world will someday come to an end. The Bible tells us so. In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 and 2, we're told, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the sun. Time to be born, time to die. In Genesis 6, verse 3, the Lord said, My spirit will not contain with man forever, for he is mortal, though days will be 120 years. Psalms 90, verse 10, The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. In James 4, verse 14, What is your life? What is your life, he says? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We're not here all that long. 
60, 70, 80, 90 years, 100 years maybe for a few. So we better be ready for the next one. But we're not coming back to this one. We're going to one other life, and that's it. Now, this doesn't mean we live our lives the way the world says so. No, that, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to live our lives the way the world lives our lives. This is the time to listen to God speak from his word, because this life is preparation for the next life. That's why we need to grow closer to God. That's why we need to grow stronger in our faith. That's why we need a new us and a Savior. This is the time to find ourselves in a relationship with God, to find our internal lives in Jesus Christ by being what? Born again and becoming that new creation. Don't be one of those people that becomes a new creation on Sunday and goes to be with the Lord on Monday. Now that's good if that happens because you're saved, right? Yeah. But you want to grow some, don't you? Yeah. So don't put it off. Don't put off accepting Christ as your Savior until some other day when it might seem right. No, when God speaks and moves you, that's the day. For this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. Number four, the Bible's message is eternal. What God said will last forever. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You and I, we won't, except in the next life, but in but his word stands forever, meaning his promise is always going to be good, meaning he's faithful to no, to, to no matter what. We've all heard and said that phrase, they don't make things like they used to, right? Yeah. They don't make things like they used to. As if nothing ever wore out. Is that true? Back in the day when things were a lot stronger and tougher, heavier, because they were made out of heavier material. You know, in our house, we have a washer and dryer that's older than our kids. Yeah. But someday, I keep fixing them because I don't know. I do like to fix things. There's something about fixing things that's fun. Can I make this thing last another day or two or whatever? Not really being cheap. I guess I am being cheap. But, um, there's just something about fixing things that I enjoy. But someday they're going to break down for good. Someday they're going to fall apart, rust apart, and I'm not going to be able to fix them. They're going to be done. And that's the way I am. Someday I'm going to break down. I'm going to fall apart. And I'm going to be done. Nothing ever lasts. That's the way it is. But what God said, His Word, it will last forever. Yeah. Jesus even said it would last forever in Matthew 24, verse 35. Mark 13, verse 31. And Luke 21, verse 33. All tell us that Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And who is Jesus? He is God. Standing at the right hand of the Father. Making Him known. And that's because God will last forever. So His Word will endure forever. Everything else in this world is going to wear out, rust off, or break down. Everything. It doesn't matter how well you take care of it. It's going to break down. And this is why we can trust God, though. Because He endures. His Word endures. Because it is eternal. Because He, the, the author of it, is eternal. And it is an eternal, life-changing message. God's Word can't be changed by the whims of the culture. I don't care what the culture tries to do. 
He can't change it. It can't be overcome or defeated by a person's arguments. Satan tried that, and Jesus wasn't having it. God's Word is fixed. Fixed. And through it, God still speaks. We just need to listen. And we need to help others to listen too. Hebrews 4, verse 12. There must be a, this must be going around because I got a message on, uh, on my, um, in one of my text, my text messages this morning from a pastor professor in Manhattan who said he was preaching on this and he gave this very verse, Hebrews 4, verse 12. He's preached on it. I thought that was really interesting. I told him, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about that too. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. See, this is what God's Word does. It makes us face ourselves. It shows us who we really are. But it also says, hey, you can be a new you. But there's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. And so as we sing, Just As I Am, that's our invitation song. Let God speak to you. Maybe you need to rededicate.